It's the Mad Hatter Show. I'm here again with Def Jam Blasted. This is our part two. I knew that our first interview could have went so many different ways, and I was a, I had a fear of that mm. just because I know you personally. I know how deep you can go into hip-hop, and I wasn't sure if we would stay on task or we'll find something new and we just right. run with it. Right. Uh, I'm pretty confident in where we went the first time, so wherever we go this time, I'm kind of like cool with it too, but I wanted to do this part two with you. Cool. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, while we were here sitting around talking, we stumbled upon something. I said, that's where we're going to start. And we were starting with the word legend. Like somebody would go to Blast like, oh, my God, you're a legend, man. I remember when you did. And they'll tell you this story about some, something you did. Mm-hmm. And you want to participate in the memory with them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can be honest, but you can't. Or Blast, I mean, when you used to mix on the radio and you did da 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 It might be a DJ. It could be a fan. But they'll tell mm-hmm. you something. But that word legend you know, when they attach it to you, like, what am, what am I supposed to do with that word? Yeah. Because yeah. then you turned it around and say, you remember asking Rakim mm-hmm. about that particular, yes. that one line, yes. being a yes. legend. Um, I asked him, are you able to appreciate and understand when people say that to you? Because I can imagine that's the first thing people say to you every time they meet you. Absolutely. And he said, no. He doesn't and- understand the magnitude of it? It seems like when it's you that's the center of the statement of the tension, you can't fully appreciate it. Like, you know, it's the joke of like, yeah, what do I do while people are circled around me singing happy birthday? What am I supposed to do? You know, you just <laughs> you just kind of freeze and, and you accept it. But, right, right. And so it seems like it's that kind of thing when people are talking about you sometimes it's hard to. But when you said that, I can tell you why Rakim. And, and that's because it is. Obviously, person, he's my favorite MC of all time. He is number one on the list yes, of absolutely. Any list. I agree. Uh, so I'm but glad we're in the, the reason. person who says it knows why, why they're saying. That person saying. is a legend. But if somebody says it to you, like Matt Hatter, you're a legend. And you well, embrace it because you know yeah. it's coming from a, a very sincere place it when is. they're saying it. But you're also lost in that, like in that moment of well, you know, I'm trying why? to think, <laughs> you know, how. And it's but, not and that, because it's not because knows. you got low self esteem, right? Or anything like that. It, to me, it would be super arrogant of yourself to like. Of course, I'm a legend, right? And right. I think Rakim understands why he is in the scheme of things, but to embrace it and wear it like a jacket just seems, or even fully understand it because. You and I experienced Rakim's body of work as fans. He's just doing it. So he's not necessarily a fan of himself. A person, you know what I'm saying? A person is not. He was just doing what he was doing. Get, you don't get to stand back and watch yourself and see what you're doing to appreciate it the way an observer does. That's mm. kind of what I'm thinking. Why would he be legend to you, by the way? I'm just curious. Well, I think for Rakim, you know, he shifted there's only been a few big shifts in hip hop music in particular. And he was one of the first major shifts when that record, my melody came out Ooh. and see, it was a slower beat than we're used to. Cause everything sure is a was. party. Everything's a party record, a dance record, a crowd participation type, you know, throw your hands in the air mm-hmm. or listen to this funny story. He slowed the beat down. So you're not really dancing to it. You're listening to it. And it was incredible poetry some of the things he was saying, the references he was making, it was just incredible. And then all of a sudden, you can't do Curtis Blow style rap anymore. You can't, <laughs> you can't do Sugar Hill Gang anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kind of killed know, that. It just little, you know, not little that that pieces. was his purpose. He was just a different type of MC just, at that, that was particular his style. time. But when he did that in particular, I take seven MCs and put them in a line. 
seven more more. brothers who think they can rhyme. Now it takes seven more before I go for mine. Now that's 21 MCs ate up at at the the same same time. time. I'm getting goosebumps just Just reciting (laughs) it. I remember the moment hearing that like, what? Nobody does this on a rap song. What is he? And then, you know, so many other things on that song. Now, here's the funny thing. Rakim does not have a lot of record. All these rappers that we call Grace, minus a Tupac, who has so much material, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the greats don't have a lot of material. Right. So how can they be legend and how can they be great? Biggie well, does not well, have a long repertoire. Like really yeah, he doesn't Biggie have a, two, a big catalog. He had, he had two albums. He's got a, he had a third album. Yeah, I mean, well, Life After Death, yeah, that's kind of putting stuff together, I guess. He literally had two but albums. It's like Rakim, the stuff was so good. It's a concentrated collection so you of can material. be legend you can be one of the greats and you don't have to have a huge body of work you don't have to have and i'm, I'm asking 10 you solid as a hip hop connoisseur no. which i know you are you're a curator of hip hop so i'm 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 listening very intently to your response on this no you don't have to have you know 50 great songs to be it's just a matter of the impact you made with the stuff that you did have you know the so great mc to you is impact that's part of it. I okay. think there's a lot of, you know, f- yeah, for me, I'm a person that's in the lyrics. I want to hear the lyrics. And it doesn't mean you have to necessarily be saying something deep, but at least the wordplay, mm-hmm. the poetry, mm-hmm. that that was Biggie's thing. To me, was the wordplay. You would always, on a first listen of a Biggie song or, or a full album, be like, wait a minute, rewind that, go back. Did he just say, you know, Biggie was that kind of artist. Rakim was kind of like that too. Or Rakim would make you just think like, man, you know, he's actually dropping a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of poetry, a little Mm -hmm. bit of party stuff. But I think Rakim, going back to him, gets that legend status because he just created such a, a, he created a whole new sound. Everybody after Rakim tried to rap like Rakim. They tried to sound a little more intelligent. They put a little more thought into the lyrics you know, they they try to you get the influence of the five percent nation. Now everybody's dropping those kind of phrases and, and that kind of ideology into their songs, which I really wasn't a thing. Man. It was great I love the, golden era, man. I loved that there was so many people, KRS one, mm-hmm. there was public enemy, Big Daddy uh, Kane, poor righteous teachers, poor righteous teachers trying to give us like you dancing and getting educated at the same time. Yeah, yeah. You know, we came out of that period too where it was a lot of black pride. A lot of those records are the reasons why some of us, you know, went off to black colleges. Yep. And and um and not to say that music doesn't have that anymore. Everything goes in its cycle. But I'm very happy that I was there during the first run cycle. Yeah. yeah. Um but things change. Things change. Right. So since we're talking about legends, go ahead and give me four more of your legends. Um well yeah, you you start with Rakim. Um I do think uh, Biggie, you know, it's going to be a lot of those those ninety guys, nineties guys. Run DMC for me uh, as well, going back to the eighties. Uh, Run DMC, Public Enemy. Um, you know, getting into the nineties, I think you get Nas, you get Jay Z, Biggie, Pac, and you know, different reasons for all of them. I never mm-hmm. really thought, I never listened to a Pac song and said, "Let me rewind that." So it wasn't a wordplay thing with him, but he kind of created a, a feeling or an emotion in his music. And I didn't really get that from Biggie songs. Biggie was more the the wordplay and the- Yeah, the, he was fly. A little humor and stuff. 
So, I, I always you know, loved the way he dehumanized himself with the black and ugly as ever. However, yeah, yeah, stay Gucci. I mean, I, I, how can you not appreciate you, that? You yeah. know, it's, it's entertaining, it's clever, yeah. it's funny, yeah, and, and it's well written, and the production's good. You know, it's a whole package. Because to me. For, Were you into the more R&B tracks that Biggie did? Because no, I know you're a hardcore no. hip. So when you first heard One More Chance remix, not the original, okay. the one that slowed it down and used the, um, was it uh, That was okay, the, the Elder Barge, yeah. Okay. That was okay. I didn't like Juicy and Big Papa. Really? I did not like those songs. I still really don't. Really? I was like, okay, yeah, anybody can take a number one R&B hit and make another hit off of it. No, they can't. You can take between we've the heard, We've heard people. Yeah, but I mean, I just, you know, that was just the, probably the producer side of me like, okay. Everybody, so you thought it was too simple. You I thought, thought that it was, was too simple. You, you yes. thought that was an easy play. Yes. And now it was a great idea from Puffy and I've heard that Biggie didn't really want to do those songs no, like that. No, he didn't. I heard that too. Yeah, so, you know, that's just the way a lot of people were thinking. I think thinking Puffy at the was time. Brilliant, brilliantly brilliant. smart to say, hey, man, man whatever, we got to get this radio. Yeah. You get this, you're going to be a superstar. Uh, and I think it's cool that the artist was okay with saying, I'm going to listen to this dude. Right. Until he proves himself wrong, I'm not running with him. And I think Puff proved himself right on so many occasions with him that he was willing to take some of these risks. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I remember when they brought Craig Mack and Biggie up to the radio station. Really? And it was all about Craig Mack. You know, Flavor in Year was, was the hit. And we were kind of like, okay, yeah, you know, other dude's cool. When they, and, then, <laughs> and then when they give, they give me the 12-inch for Juicy, I was like, nah. Really? Nah, I don't, nah, I'm not feeling that. See, but, and- okay, they gave us that, and they, they gave us a cassette. And uh, Mel Smith was the rep at the time. Shout out to Mel. He gave us a little black cassette with Biggie freestyling over Death Row instrumentals. Mm. And that caught my attention. Like, oh, okay, yeah, this dude is nice. Okay. I remember that. I wish it, I had a copy of that. I got a copy. I can, Do you I, really? Yeah, I can, oh, I wow. can send you the, the yeah, file. But um, please. that is made, what, made me pay a little more. And it was, again, an incredibly smart tactic on, on, on Bad Boy's part. I loved part. the 80s. Mm-hmm. I loved the R&B of the 80s, Midnight Star, yeah, Atlantic yeah, yeah, Star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I heard the M2 May, personally, I'm like, this is a bona fide smash. I got this dude that can really spit yeah. over one of my favorite R&B songs of like, the 80s. Well, I know you probably felt like I just felt like it was just too simple. Yeah, it was like too it was, simple. But, but who thought of it? Nobody thought of it. It hadn't been used prior. No, and, and I, I think the way and, and that he look, freaked people, that story, I made think it people great. were thinking about it the same way I was thinking about it, which is not necessarily the best business way to think about it. But people were thinking that's too simple, you know. You're, you're but dig- what about you're digging the story? Crates, but, uh, you know? To me, what made it it was the storytelling about this kid who's finally made it, and how hip hop was so important to him. And now look, he gets to participate yeah. in this game. Now I that's love great. The, I love the story, the beat. Might be simple. I think the producers yeah. did an excellent job on it myself. Uh, now to come back with the Big Papa joint, I'm sorry, Blaster. Yeah. There was no way this, that this, as soon as it come on, before he even raps. It that happens when you drop period. the Isley Brothers also. If you play between the sheets, you're going to be like, yeah. I am so, going to feel that way. You're right. And so that was the thing for me as a producer and as, as a, producer, a DJ. You, I, now, and, and, and that's why probably nobody else did that before him, because there were certain 
edicts you kind of followed, un, unspoken, unwritten, you know, rules that you kind of followed as a producer, like, okay, yeah, you know, I'm not just going to go sample Billie Jean. That's too obvious, you know. I got to, let me go find some Jackson 5 song from, you know, B-side on the album that and, nobody and heard Jermaine of Dupree and chopped that up. Okay. He did a good job of it. Now, you're a little older at this yeah. point, so you probably don't feel the Jermaine Dupree joke. I did. I ain't going to lie to you. I thought that was a brilliant song, too. The way they used the sample, the way they yeah. freaked it. I yeah, thought yeah, that yeah, was a brilliant yeah. song. Um, and even his marketing of those young fellas at RIP to the other Chris, but I thought that was brilliant. Now, yeah. since you, so did you feel the same about Ice Cubes? It was a good day, which yes. also really did not like that record, man. Played it. Now, let, let me be clear. I always played the hits. <laughs> I mean, you know, cause, yeah, because I'm a, so I'm, I'm playing for the crowd, but I was like, it. I thought it couldn't get worse than Big Papa, and here we come with today was a good day. Just oh man, over the I don't know. Now again, we're just talking. I'm just talking, was, I'm just talking production. Yeah, side. you're talking from a producer standpoint because you're producer. To me, you're producer. I know yeah. everybody knows you as Def Jam Blaster, the DJ. Yeah, I think the producer of you, you could be like a snooty producer, and that's okay. I'll take you're that. a hardcore. Beats and drum, kind of like no. Well, you like your samples. I take that back. You well, like your samples. You like you with, like when with you beats like to, and drums you're, in it. You're you a know? more tribe called Quest. I want I, yeah. I want you to dig very deep in your crates and surprise me. I think your disappointment as a producer, not yeah. as a fan of music not or all, of yeah. Ice Cube or Biggie. You're 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 disappointed in the ease of that sample because you're saying this is already a no brainer. It's you're using a hit. Already. I just don't. You're taking. Okay, what about you go back? Let's go back to Biggie and Puffy. I'll be missing you. I mean, come on. You're gonna take the police. I'll be watching you. I don't. Of course, that's the number one hit across the world. And of course, we can that's say gonna that. be. I think if great. somebody else would have used that song and rapped some other rap and not that particular rap, what it was. I think sometimes, yeah, it could seem so simple, uh, but it's what the song mean. Like now, you consider that song a classic. It was a classic already. Yeah. I think Puffy. And whomever else, I, I don't know if Steve. Now I'll be did honest, that. that's the song I just don't like at all. I don't even really? like. Really, I'll be missing you. You know, we played it because we were all going through that moment. You know, in in time when he was killed. But yeah, I, I never. If you play that song, I wouldn't. I would sit here and still enjoy it just as much as I did the first. You know, time if I, I heard, heard it, it I I wouldn't run out the room. But I'm never just gonna play that on my own just to hear it. Because know? as a producer, you just felt like too. Well, you. It was, yeah, it was a little too, maybe a little too pop for me. Not just too easy based really? on the hit. Okay. But I was just like, and look, it's not Biggie on it. So, it's, you know, if I it's Biggie it was- on, because if Juicy comes on, if Big Papa comes on, I'm not skipping the song. I'm going to listen to it. And I'll play those at parties, you know, so. um, But yeah, yeah, if I, I'll be missed, you comes on, okay. I'm not even going to listen so to it. So when Puffy and, and, and Mason then redo um, The Message, Mm-hmm. Are you feeling the same way? Too simple. A little bit. You know, the, the slight. Ice Cube uses that same sample as well. Yeah. Now, by the time he reused it, I was like, okay, yeah, we just, you know. No, nah, check yourself. It's, yeah, it, it it's is another a great song. one, too. Then he it got Dos Effects on there. Dos on it, yeah. But, but at some point, I was like. Man, you, you hard, bro. Because look, you know, you got to go. If you go back to the mid 80s, no biting. So. <laughs> So when you get into the 90s and but rappers are remaking but rappers' sampling, songs. But with sampling blast. No, I'm talking about dirt. rappers remaking other rappers' songs. Oh, okay. I was like, I guess we're in that, that yeah, phase but now. Th- those you know? songs were, at that time, when they do that song, with that's 90, mid-90s, 94-ish. Yeah, but that was just a thing you just 
up until that's that at point. least ten plus years. But that was that was the first wave of that. Before that, you weren't allowed to do it. UTFO wasn't remaking a Houdini <laughs> sample. You see what I'm saying? That was just no biting allowed. The UTFO I, I, had a song called "Bite It," talking about <laughs> that's that's a rule. You don't copy somebody else, and so the rule changed. But when something first changes, the people there for the change, there's always going to be a little bit of okay, all know, right, disharmony. Blake. That's like saying during that initial good feeling golden age of hip hop if you want to call it that or a little bit before maybe even just in the 80s there was a whole bunch of biting from James Brown most nope, every hip hop nope, song nope that's had- sampling the difference, <laughs> let me tell you the difference let me tell you the difference here's a good so example if you, if you they still sampling they sample juicy sample all these songs are sampled yeah yeah Those so songs- that's not biting I, I can I can kind of differentiate if you take we talked last time about the original version of LL Cool J, Rock the Bells. Well, that was a drum machine, and he replayed the pattern of MC Shan, Marley Mall Scratch. So MC Shan made a song called Beat Biter, because at the time, that was frowned upon. Right, you don't okay. copy somebody in hip-hop. You don't copy another hip-hop song. Now, if you're sampling something, that's a whole other thing. But actually copying one of your contemporaries was a different thing. Up until the 90s, I guess, where they're like, okay, now we will start sampling rap songs. And so, but uh, when it first happens, you know, I'm like, whoa, we, we're, we're resampling, you know, we're redoing the message now or we're redoing whatever. Nobody, I thought it was brilliant. Nobody, no, I'll be, I, I think, I lie, I lie. I think when I first heard, I think when I first heard it, because it, it was slow. So mm-hmm. I was thrown off by tempo. I was thrown off by tempo, yeah. and I was like, mm, I think I probably was, uh, I think I wasn't that much of a fan of it at first. And then after it, a couple you know, of less it, listens, I was and, like. And that, that fits with what I'm saying. When, it, when some dra- dramatic change first happens, mm-hmm. the people there for it are kind of like, wait, what's going on? It's not just an immediate acceptance for some people. And I'll say that as a producer, it's not an immediate acceptance. But after a little while, you're like, okay. We're in a new phase now, and now I get it. So it's okay. So if we're in the 90s, it's okay to go back and sample something from 80s rap songs. Okay. But yeah, sampling, you know, James Brown or other artists like that, that's a whole different thing. That's just the basis of hip-hop, you know, using other records. When you didn't have access to equipment, you get two copies and backspin it. I don't know on this one, Blaster. I don't know. I think you're you're being real hardcore on this one. Well, I could be, but I'm saying sampling... It's kind of the basis of rap music, you know, taking two copies of a, a breakbeat and backspinning it for the MC to do his thing. That's kind of the foundation of the music. So, okay, that was as far as hip hop culture and rap music in particular. That was always acceptable to do that. But so, you know, so hold on. So let me. So let's go. I'm, I'm gonna go to. I'm gonna keep it in the '90s, early on when again another shift happens. Since we're talking about sampling now, so when you hear Dr. Dre sample. Uh, what's my man? I want to do something freaky to you. Now, let me point out, his his name didn't immediately roll off your tongue, right? A lot of people didn't know that original. I knew as soon as I heard it. I thought and, it was, I'll, again, I'll say, this is another one I thought was brilliant. It, 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 it was brilliant, but I'll say this. Growing up in Houston, I never heard that song on the radio. I was not familiar no, with that song. No, it wasn't song. like a huge I was not hit. familiar with that. Between the Sheets was on every three hours when it came. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> or the, difference, the, the difference was 
Okay, so that's your appreciation sample, but we level don't is know different. It. So it was a little. If you more, dig in the crates a little bit more, even if it's R and B, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing wrong with sampling an R and B song. It was just again it was too simple. for I you. wasn't familiar with that song before he sampled it. To be honest. Now there may be other people from Houston. Maybe they're a little older than me, and maybe yeah, you know, they know that their song. older brother yeah, had yeah. the record. Of, I didn't know that song. Record. I never heard that song before Dre sampled it. So. I loved them. Like this fool just used "I Want to Do Something Freaky yeah. to You" and turned yeah. it into a crazy. And hit. you know, even like that with with hypnotize. I kind of remembered the Herb Alpert song, but that wasn't now, really another a big, brilliant sample. I'm that glad wasn't you brought a, that, that up. That wasn't a big song. Oh, that was a huge on ranking. the radio here. Really? Unless it was like a jazz Rise, station or something. It was R. It was played the, on R&B. It was a huge R&B record. Although I did now, the radio although here, now, so, yeah. if you listen to like jazz, if there are yeah. still jazz radio stations, that's one of their ones in main. I know. I know that now. Rise was when, a huge song when that came out. I was like, okay, yeah, I, I didn't know that. Just song the idea like of that. thinking about using that. Doom, yeah, doom, yeah, doom, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. I thought another. I think that's another. To me, that's what makes some of these songs so ex- exciting. And to hear Ice Cube not on something. To me, it was yeah. uh, like a fish out of water movie. Yeah, it was like yeah. an artist being fish out of water. This the topic. To me, a lot of times it's you know. Even well, Ice Cube is always a great writer. Yeah, in his song. Yeah, and I can't lie. That's not my favorite Ice Cube. Uh, Once Upon a Time the Projects another sample great. yeah great it's probably my favorite and, and a, a song that I was not familiar with until uh, I think DJ Pooh did that track until, mm-hmm. until they made that is it like Funkadelic or Parliament or nah, something nah that's like it's not Betty, George uh, oh oh um, uh, uh, I, I, I don't want to say Betty Wright no uh, it's um, doom, doom, doom. Shooby Doop and Cop Him is the uh, name of the song it's a lady though yeah it's, I can't remember. It's bad. Like I can pull it and up. I should, and I'm pull it up because I, I, I got it on, I don't, on my phone. Somebody probably is trying to pull it up now anyway. And my apologies. We should know that. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Uh, dun, 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 is it Betty Wright? It's not Betty Wright. Um, it is Betty Wright. Should be duping cop him. That's Betty Wright. No, that's not Betty Wright. Her name is um something else. Cause she date yeah. she she was in a relationship with Huh. That's the Beyonce sample one right there. Uh her name is not Betty it's uh Yeah, I, I, oh, I'm, God, I'm looking I at the song, but now I'm not sure. Oh gosh. <laughs> it's not it's not Betty Wright though. Um Willie D uses Betty Wright, clean up woman. Were you okay with that sample? That's that was okay. Yeah, yeah, that one was okay. <laughs> you stuff. <laughs> I mean, and I get it. You know, it's it's a clean up woman, clean up man. Come on, man. I thought I, I thought it was another brilliant one, man. I thought Betty it was Davis. Betty, Betty Davis. Davis. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I forgot who she. No, she I dated did too. Some other I'm artists. saying Betty Wright, and, I'm, and I know it's not Betty Wright, I but yeah, Betty Davis. Who she was in a relationship with? Was it? Um, all right, we're, we're yeah, we've, we've <laughs> tangented out of that. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. we uh, another another podcast, another time. Uh, that's an interesting. These these this, this is an interesting conversation for me, Blaster. You got very uh, and these are just my opinions. I'm not saying are, that you, I'm not saying that everybody should feel hard that way. When it comes to music, particularly hip hop, that's why I say you're a true curator. And you know what I always liked about you? You wouldn't ashamed. Just like now, you're not ashamed or afraid to go against norm. You, you're like. Yeah, Juicy, yeah. everybody would call it a classic. You're like, eh, too simple for me. Not his yeah. rhyme, yeah. but as a producer, well, you, you, you just know, thought, uh, too easy, guys. Dig can, deeper like Dre did right. with the... Or even like the rest of the Biggie album. Everything else on the, the Ready to Die album, 
you know, production wise, sample wise. Well, that was a very, that was a very, yeah, it's a, I'm like, okay, cool. But it's, I, you no, know, these, it's these not are, really a lot of R&B moments on that Well, album. I guess what I'm saying, all the other samples chosen on there, I was like, okay, this is dope. You know, somebody's oh, yeah, digging yeah, in yeah. the crates Yo, for these, you know, everything absolutely. else on there. I was like, absolutely. man, great. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, yeah. You How know, were you during the transition? Because, and I, I always feel like the transition of hip hop started with that Dr. Dre album, The Chronic. Maybe a little bit before that with Snoop on... Um, What's the uh, song? Well, look, which ding, which ding, transition? Ding. Well, this is when we went to the hardcore gangster era. In my oh, no, opinion. Yeah. You know what? It there was, still was a mix of different type of music prior to. Yeah. After that happened, all music went in one direction. All hip hop well, seemed you know, to go in one direction. A little bit. Even when you talk about N.W.A. before Snoop, you know, they're still, you know, for what I like as a producer and as a listener, they're still using samples, you know, they crispy are. drums mm-hmm. and 808s in there and, and lots of scratching and stuff. That was those were still great hip hop albums to mm-hmm. me. And talking just for my taste, for what I like when I'm listening to music, those were still great albums. It's still sample based, and so you get you now you get to the Chronic and you know Doggy Style album. It's still samples. You know he's playing some nice thick bass lines and stuff, adding a lot more live music to it, but it's still incredible music. Mm-hmm. So. I loved it. Now, it took a while. Subject-wise, you know, I was never into any of that stuff. I didn't smoke and drink, so, <laughs> you know, that doesn't couldn't, mean you, you can't enjoy it. gin and juice. Well, I couldn't relate to the stuff, but that was okay. Yeah, I still yeah, could yeah. jam it. It yeah, was still absolutely. good music. Absolutely. You know, for me, music has to sound good first and foremost. doesn't always have to have a message. It can be instrumental and still be a great song. So, I'm, you know, I'm looking for that. How does it sound when, it, when it's hitting my ears? Do I like it? So, you know, you like you said, you can be telling a story or you can just be doing what what Crazy C would just call MC rhymes, just rapping about being the best rapper. Okay. <laughs> but overall, if the song sounds good, mm-hmm. did you have I'm a okay favorite favorite period of and have is it all hip hop for you? And I hate to say this, mm-hmm. when I think of you, I don't really think Blaster's getting ready to play M2 May or he like in if I can't see you in the eighties enjoying R and B. No, absolutely. The hip, the hip the hip-hop part of it, absolutely. I can see you totally ingratiated in it. Not the absolutely R&B the R and B stuff, the funk stuff, because Maybe funk. I'm sorry. You know, we were around yeah. before there was rap music on records. Yes. So yeah, I love all that stuff. I mean, Gladys Knight, Johnny Mathis, you know. Man, that boy said Johnny Mathis. I think the first concert I ever went to was with my parents to go see Johnny Mathis really? at the Arena Theater. Yeah. Wow. So was always exposed to a lot of, again, before there was rap music. So, you know, regular R&B as well as Bootsy and all of that type stuff. Parliament Funkadelic and all of that. Yeah, everything. James Brown. All what do you that. think it was about music that got you to where you are now? Like what, like what caused this love for Def Jam Blasted to, to be so I think into it? Part of it could have been growing up as an only child. And so a lot of time, a lot of solitary time, you know, there's nobody else around all the time. Can't always find the kids outside to play with. So what do you do? There's no other really technology that you can manipulate as you see fit. You know, there's no streaming. There's no VCRs and things like that yet. So what can you control? Well, I can play this record right now. And my parents were into music, so we always had a nice collection. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So I would just go pick records out and, and sit there and listen to records. You know, and that would be, you know, you have the the stereo where you could stack the records up on, on a tall <laughs> spindle and then yeah, they yeah. drop Jump down one play. at a time. If somebody so, yeah. don't know what you're talking about right now. And that's totally why I try to it. give an illustration. Yeah. Like you have the long the, the spindle. The big record right here. And you can stack a, records something up. something called a record player, if you yeah. will. And you put them all on top of each other. Either Even though sometimes, you know, maybe two would fall down yeah. because it wasn't perfect yeah. technology. Uh, and you would sit there and listen to your albums as long as it yeah, it, it, you it could stack last. up six or seven of them yeah, at least, yeah. and they would just drop down. One will finish playing, then the next one falls, and it starts playing. So yeah, I would just do that, stack up music, and you know, in that era, if you wanted to hear a song when you wanted to hear it, you had to have a copy of it. So that was just you know kind of a natural progression. I always loved music, and uh you know my parents did too so that had, that helped encourage it so how did it get to you doing this djing i think i think a, a watershed moment for me wanting to dj well i got a buddy and i always shout him out eric hatch mo city um i remember waiting for the bus uh, you know to go to school and uh he was like yeah you know come on come over my house after school man i'm gonna show y'all how to scratch you know, just on his parents' stereo. And it wasn't anything, like, he wasn't a DJ. He just understood the physical what to do. And I was like, oh, man, it sounds so basic now. But, you know, if you go to 1986, when there's, yeah. there's, there's no way to really see what it is people are doing, to see him do that, I was like, man, that was pretty neat. And then I remember seeing the music video for uh, Buffalo Gals, Malcolm McLaren. Wow. And they show a little bit more of a, a DJ really scratching. And I was like, man, I want to learn how to do that. So I just wanted to learn how to scratch. I just thought that was a really neat thing to be able to do. Just a cool, you know, little activity. Mm -hmm. And so for the longest time, when I was eventually able to get equipment, it was just a mixer and one turntable. Because all, all I was doing was scratching. I wasn't trying to mix and make mixtapes and do parties. Just wanted to scratch. What so, was the first party? You remember it? I, I'm not sure. I, I have really? a picture. I have a picture from a party in 1986, DJing like a pool party in a neighborhood. And I have on the white Run DMC Kango. I think we probably, I don't know if we talked about that or not, how mm -hmm. I would collect stuff, but I got on the white souvenir. <coughs> I know you collect music. Yeah. I know you're and, music and the memorabilia too. Not, really? not purposely. It was just, Stuff you like. Well, you go to the Fresh Fest, they got the limited edition Run DMC Kangos. You get one and you try to keep that. You really? Yeah, Do you yeah. have that? I still have it, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> I think I bought two of them. I might have bought a white one and a what black one. What do you do with all this memorabilia? You just. A lot of it now is just, you know, I just have it stored neatly, you know, safely packed and stored. Some of the stuff I'll rotate kind of into my, you know, DJ studio room. Is there passing this on to. To your kid or? Well, you know, or maybe to a hip hop museum or something like that. Because, you know, you don't want to force it on somebody if they don't want they, it. Because then one you're gone, then they just like, yeah, throw yeah it away. just put it on the curb. Not to say that, you know, somebody's, <laughs> but I, you know, there have been things that I've seen people's families do that. So you have to be aware that, okay, people are not going to be into the stuff just because you want them to be in and you want to pass it down. Would you and like they, him to be in? Man, I want it. My son is very into music. Really? I don't know if he'll be into all the, you know, memorabilia and stuff that I've kept. But, uh, yeah, he's very into music. So, plays trumpet, learning guitar right now. Okay. So, yeah, he's into it. 
You know. Has he walked over and at least busted yeah, one little? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are you teaching him? Has he asked to be no, taught? No, he hasn't asked, and I'm not necessarily teaching him, but, you know, if I would be in there doing something, he'd walk in. I'd say, yeah, just come come do it. Put your hand, you know, I'll kind of guide him on how to have the hand control on the vinyl and, and be able to do a little something, so, yeah. But not there going to manage him to be the DJ? Not, not unless he wants to. You know, he's leaning more into, you know, what I wished I could have done, you know, actual play, play instruments, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, you know, if you go back to the early stories that people talk about from the DJs and why they were backspinning records, it was, they were like, well, we couldn't afford the instruments. We couldn't mm. get guitars and drum sets and trumpets and trombones to to start Earth, Wind & Fire. We couldn't get that because <laughs> we were living where we were living. And yeah. So, you know, yeah, if you don't just have access to a bunch of instruments, then, you know, you figure something else out. You know, that's kind of the hip hop spirit. Okay. I got this pen and I got this. What can I do? It's not an instrument. Oh, yes, it is. Mm -hmm. So that's what you do. You just find stuff and improvise and make it work. So Did you know you would become what you became? No. Was it purposeful? Like, no, it was not. I'm going to be a DJ and be great at DJ. I did this. not ever think about being a DJ. It was a thing of, you know, how somebody may just, you just have a hobby. Like, okay, I, I like to build ships in a bottle. That was an old 60s and 70s thing. You don't think I'm going to go open a store and sell these items. You just mm -hmm. do that because you like to do it. I just wanted to be able to scratch because I just thought it was really neat. It was a really cool thing. I liked the sounds. And that was it. And that's why I say I only had one turntable for years. To mm -hmm. this day, my DJ style, if I'm using turntables at my house, they're both set up on the right with the mixer to the left mm -hmm. because I only had the mixer and one turntable for so long that that's my strength. Mm -hmm. Now I split them up when I go out somewhere or whatever, you know, just to be traditional. One side is your strong yeah. side. So yeah. Speak. And if I, so if I, you know, I, I would change it up so I could walk in anywhere and be able to use the equipment no matter how it was set up. But I did not intend to be a DJ. Uh, it was not until it, it had to be, you know, just years later where I said, okay, well, you know, getting these copies of mixtapes, listening to R.P. Cola and Chili Bill Smith on the radio doing the, the Thunderstorm mixes. I was like, man, that's kind of cool. Listening to KTSU, Kids Jam, hearing those guys like, man, OK, I do kind of want to be able to make a tape with all these cool songs as well. So mm -hmm. um, but still, even then, it was just that it was a very slow prog uh, progress where people knew I had the records and they would say, hey, man, you know, I'm going to have a party at my house, you know, I'm turning 15 or whatever. Can you bring your records and play some music? Yeah, okay, I'll do that. I don't mind doing that. So it was kind of like that, where it just kept going and kept going uh, until I think the big, a big breaking or turning point was one of the high school dances, maybe in uh, 1988. And my buddy uh, Everett Blaylock, shout out to Lamar, from uh, <laughs> my boy Lamar Blaylock from uh, Willow Ridge, we were good buddies hanging around and we were at a, a party at the school and they had hired a DJ company. So it was like some little bit older white guys. They were cool. They had lights, smokes, all of the effect, but they didn't really have the right music. I think, you know, we were still listening to stuff off Raising Hell album. So they're playing You Be Illin'. And we're like, that ain't really the song that we like off of that album. That's one of the songs we skip on that album. Right, you know? absolutely it was. And so they were kind of struggling. So my boy Blaylock went up to the uh, student council sponsor and said, hey, 
if Will goes home and gets his records, you think they will play his records? She goes to ask him, and they're like, yes, please. Because <laughs> they, they were kind of struggling. So he you know, comes with me to the house. We grab a couple of crates of records and come back. And I'm just kind of handing them records like, yeah, play this, play this, you know. And, uh, you know, we want to hear Peter Piper, not you be ill and at a party, you mm-hmm. know, stuff like that. I'm able to, to hand them the right records. And from there, the school just contacted me to start DJing the parties. So that was where it became, oh, OK, I'm, I'm a DJ now. You know, you know, I gotta, I gotta show up and actually do a party. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I would say that was probably the turning point for was me. Was there any memorable party where you like, oh yeah, I? There's probably several parties where you said to yourself, leaving, I killed it tonight. But is there one you know, memorable party where you like that night just felt wonderful? Like, not in the '80s necessarily, because and it doesn't have to be the '80s. Could yeah. be you know after yeah, you're yeah, established yeah. There, doing there your thing. There would be stuff in the '90s for sure when hip hop was really hitting a peak, and you know we were kind of accidentally almost becoming like celebrity DJs. That wasn't really a thing. It didn't seem like a, a big thing, you know, unless you were Grandmaster Flash, you know, the right. New York. But I mean, mm-hmm. around here, that wasn't really a thing, where you know they were kind of having these huge parties like that. So. Um, probably quite a few things in the 90s where I was like, man, you know, this is incredible doing parties, you know, on all the college campuses because, you know, you got a, you, you've got a, um, a built-in crowd. You're on a college campus. Everybody just comes to the party, you know, so it can be a thousand people easily at that party. Mm-hmm. And, and I think not a particular party, but a lot of that stuff. When you get into 1990, 91, 92, that's when I started being like, oh, man, you know, these parties are pretty good, and, and, and I'm, I'm a part of that. You know, I'm a part of that. the reason that mm-hmm. these parties are going well. You know, I can kind of manipulate the crowd through the music, and it was a lot of fun. And I have to always give a lot of credit to Crazy C for helping me out with a lot of that stuff back then. When I was too young to drive, he would come pick me up and take me to parties. <laughs> Is that right? And I never thought about it back then, and I don't know if I ever thanked him back then. So that's why I always, I always make sure I say it when people ask me about that. Cause he didn't have to do that. He was a DJ too, right. but he was so cool that he kind of would, he'd get on the mic for me. Cause I didn't, you know, I didn't have any desire to try to be an MC and talk to the crowd. So he'd get on the mic and, but yeah, he, I can't see some crazy C on the mic. Yeah, and rocking I'm the crowd, you know, because he's kind of very reserved. Well, like he wasn't too. necessarily rocking the crowd. He's telling jokes. He's ranking on people. <laughs> I, I have uh, and I can't I, I got a recording of one of the high school parties where it's him and three, two, three, two is emceeing with him as well. Really? And they're just ranking on each other or ranking on people in the crowd. It has nothing to do with rocking the crowd <laughs> there. It's like. You know, is the crowd enjoying this? I don't know, but we were. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I and I think every now and then I'd have to reel three two back in, particularly because he's a little, little more sharp with his jabs at people in the crowd. He's you know talking about girls and stuff, and I'd have to be like, okay, man, let's <laughs> let's get back to this kid and play record instead. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, C would C was very 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 helpful in those early I'm years. I'm glad you brought me. up three two. Because I think a lot of hip hop history forgets the connection that you have mm-hmm. with Three Two. You sent me something the other day. What was the name of the group? Private Identity. So it was you and Three Two. Yeah. In this group, and 
that's the cool thing about all these podcasts, even with Donnie Houston, that he gets a chance to tell a lot of these stories, too, because people have a tendency to just remember a, a particular portion of the story. Yeah, yeah. And some the whole bit of it is not told. What's this whole connection with you and 3-2? Well, similar to Scarface, we were in school together. But I think 3-2 lived in Briargate. I lived in Hunter's Glen. We were, you know, not too far from each other. And it was still the music thing initially where, you know, people kind of knew who the rappers were. They knew who the the B-boys, the breakers were. They knew who was who. So it was always that natural. Even, you know, I got to tell the way I met Crazy C because he's a he was a couple years older than me. And it's not that big a difference now. But if I'm in eighth grade and he's in 10th, okay, a 10th grader doesn't talk to an eighth grade. So I had a huge we had a mutual. I was living in Ridgemont. We we both lived in Ridgemont Mm -hmm. and we had a a mutual friend, Ben Raymond. Shout out to the homie Ben, um, who knew Simon. And who was like one of my best friends. And he was like, man, you got to meet this guy, Simon. So um, he DJs too. So he eventually got us to meet. And it was that same thing with 3-2. Okay, you know, he's kind of a rapping dude. People know you either talk to me and Simon or me or Simon, whatever the case. And so we were in the same grade and it just turned into a friendship. Um, I would come pick him up to go to school take him home after school, we hang out. Uh, I don't know if I sent you some of the pictures, but he would come to most of the parties with me. And you know, Three, two. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll send you a picture. There's a picture with you know, him and Simon and a couple other people you know, holding up speakers and record crates, you know, helping me set up for a party. Wow. So we just were, we were homeboys. And like I said you know, previously, you know, people come home and practice you know, whatever their sports or their instruments, we come home and and make songs, you know, practice making beats or whatever. How did it become this duo? Who, it, who it was his idea. Who? It was okay. his idea. He had a concept. Uh, the concept of private identity was, so we're in the flat top era, you know, it's like late 80, 88, 89. So, you know, kid and play is real big. Big Daddy Kane, Bobby Brown, everybody got the, you know, the high top fades. And so his thing was, you know, we're going to make a group and we're going to dye our hair white. <laughs> that was just his that was the gimmick he came with so he came with the whole concept it's private identity you know it's, it's 3-2 and Def Jam Blaster and this is what we're gonna do you know we're gonna and I was kinda I kinda was like I don't know about the, the white flat top thing but I'm down you know for the group I just wasn't sure about that particularly I mean we never did anything close to that but that's what it was he came with the idea like let's just be a group and keep making stuff you know it wasn't you know, it's not a huge deal in 1988 to say, oh, you know, that's that's probably the type of thing that happened every six weeks. Somebody makes a group and if it doesn't work out, all right, you go join another crew. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you go around, but the stuff we just Did kept making songs. Did you ever get a chance to make? We recorded a lot of material. Okay. But nothing ever released. Nothing okay. Yeah, I'm trying to make sure. Yeah, nothing was ever released back then, but we recorded a lot of material, a lot of material at my parents' house. Uh, we recorded at least the one song I think I sent you was Look At Me Now. Mm. We recorded that in the studio with the Big Richard under Lil Troy's, you know, uh, supervision or executive production mm-hmm. and just a whole bunch of stuff, like I said, back at, at my parents' house in the bedroom. So, what, what did you enjoy more? Producing, being in the group, or 
was the more satisfaction just being a DJ? Producing. Producing, being able to sit down and kind of create something, um, I'll say original, so mm-hmm. to speak. You know, I'm using samples. But, you know, my philosophy was, you know, take this one thing, deconstruct it, and put it back together into another thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of saw the art in that, and that was really fun. It's still fun to me to be able to do that. I never could just sit down at a keyboard and just create a, an original melody. I never wanted to. Let me rephrase that. I never wanted to sit down and create. I wanted somebody to, like I said, give me this photo, cut it up like a jigsaw puzzle, and let me rearrange these pieces to try to make a different photo out of it. That was always a little more fun. Are you still doing that? Are, Absolutely. Are you still, you still putting, okay. Absolutely, yeah. I, I didn't mean, know that bless. I can get in the car and, you know, drive here to Dallas and just listen to all beats that I've made over the years. And you still doing it? I still do. Really? I and it's, it's just for my own enjoyment. It goes back to what I said about <laughs> said just learning enjoyment. learning to scratch. I just wanted to do that because I you thought it was no fun. no interest in doing the tracks and selling them to people? And Well, it's not that. And you know, I, you know, a, a little bit. Look, I probably need to get an agent at this point. Like, all right, somebody <laughs> else to shop beats. But it's always been that same style. So, you know, if that style comes back around, then you cool. ready? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I got, I got, you know, I got beat tapes from, from, from years, years and years of beats that you can. But, and you know, there's been some projects that I've produced, you know, it'll be a little underground stuff that, you know, there's been some, some guys, there's a group, uh, a, a buddy of mine, a fraternity brother was like, hey man, let's, let's make an album. And, so there was, we made a group called Benjamin Heights. And so if you, you can look that up on YouTube and probably find some of the songs I produced there, okay. some of the beats I made, just doing stuff for the fun of it. Now, you know? did you think that you would still be, you're still a sought after DJ. Did you have a time limit on how much time Blaster is going to be a DJ? I think I never, I always try to say, you know, it, it's entertainment and I've seen people before particularly artists, not necessarily DJs, but you know, somebody may have had a hot three or four albums and then that's it. And you just can't really predict that. It's just up to the market. I figured I would have a little bit more longevity because if you, if you boil it down, all I got to be able to do is play other people's hits. So, you know, that's not difficult. Now I'm, I'm greatly, you know, understating the talent that goes along with being able to read a crowd and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. But I always said, well, you know, let me see. Red Alert's still out there, you know, still doing it. Kid Capri's still doing it. I've never thought, uh, and purposely, I've never thought of what's the end timeline. Mm. Because, you know, in theory, you can just keep going. And it seems like my generation, our generation in particular, still likes to party. They may not, (laughs) they're not going to go to the club. Right, they're right. going to rent a place, right. and they're going to throw their big fiftieth birthday party there, and they may have two hundred people, three hundred mm-hmm. people there. You know, it, I still do a lot of big events, fraternities and sororities. You know, that's been an invaluable thing in my career, my life in general, but my career in particular, because all these people that I party with in high school and went to college and joined these organizations, now they get me to come and do their big conferences. You know, in different parts of the country. That's cool. Never, I never would have envisioned that. So. I kind of just say, yeah, I'm just going to keep going with it. I'll keep going. Uh, No timetable on it. There's no timetable on it because, again, now if it was a situation where I'm in my 50s and I'm still doing high school events, then you say, okay, well, yeah, that's that's probably (laughs) going to play out, you know, because, you know, I got gray in my beard and, 
You know, they, they might steal, be like, ah, you, yeah, you, you can know. still rock it. Them kids don't care. They really don't because I still do stuff like yeah, them that. Yeah, kids don't care as long as that music But hitting. I would be like, well, you know, do I want to always, you know, do high school and junior high. I got you. you know, but, um, but that's not the case. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm able to still kind of stay in, in my comfort zone with, with my generation of people. And it's just, it's been a blessing. It's, it's been great. I'm thankful for it. And so I still purposely don't try to put an end timeline together. I feel that. Uh, yeah, I say, okay, well, if it keeps going, I'm thankful and I'm going to keep going with it. So, a lot of, almost everybody calls themselves a DJ now. Yes. It's, it's easy to go to your local music store, get you a controller, plug it in. Man, you don't just get an iPad. You don't even have to, you know, there's, there's softwares where you can just What's use, your thoughts use on touch that? screen. Is that guy or gal? And Gail, are they mm-hmm. are they DJs to you? Well, there's levels to this. So <laughs> yes, they're DJs. Uh, I think just going by definition, you know, if you play music for a group of people, you know, with the intent purpose of trying to move the crowd, so to speak, mm-hmm. you're DJing. Okay. You know, I've always kind of had different categories for DJs in my mind, even back in the vinyl days. You know, there's a lot of guys who went through all the trouble, bought all the equipment, got all the records and still didn't make it. So I don't just look at the ease of getting into it because I knew that guys that tried it the hard way and just didn't make it, you mm-hmm. know. So I don't necessarily have a problem with the the equipment. It's a double-edged sword. You know, on the one hand, I love the technology. My 50-something-year-old back doesn't want to carry crates either. <laughs> But at the same time, that made somebody who might not have seriously considered to say, you know what? I got an iPhone. Let me just be a DJ now. You know, so you have to deal with that, too. Um, So I don't discount those people. I kind of look at somebody like, well, you know, what's their intent? Some people just, you know, want to get the notoriety. They just want to see their their face and name on the flyers. And I don't really have that same desire. I never really did have that desire. So I don't identify with those people as well. What about people? There's a lot of times when you, and you know, there's somebody, a higher DJ, much cheaper than you. Uh, and you know, you get what you pay for, so to speak. Yeah. 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 Uh, but sometimes it's not just, they diminish the ability of the DJ. They don't think what you're doing is special. You're yeah. just some dude who's playing some records or some songs or whatever you want to call it now. MP3. You know, what's your, I'm just curious as another yeah. DJ to asking a DJ. There, there's been, uh, and I can go in a lot of directions with that, but there's been situations where people that are from Texas that will, just for example, will want to book me for something. They're booking me based on a reputation, so they really don't care what I charge. I shouldn't say don't care, but, you know, they mm-hmm, they it. anticipate, you know. They know, they know. Yeah, you're gonna. It's gonna be a premium. Yeah, but they know that they're gonna get that quality. Right. Someone from out of town might be like, "Well, you charge what?" And uh, you know, I'll be like, "Well, you know, Google me, look me up. <laughs> I'm not just some guy." But I and I and seriously, and I will tell them. But I I understand if you know you just don't get it. Then I understand. You know, I'm not gonna talk crazy about you don't know who I am. Nah, I'm not. I'm not really like that. Mm-hmm. So there will be sometimes there were some things that I couldn't do because the people didn't want to pay. I said, okay, well, you know, yeah, you can definitely get somebody cheaper and and that's okay. Have they ever come back later? Like I made a mistake. That's happened. And, and this will be the first time people may notice this, those particular people in, in in particular, but I'll raise the price like $50 or something as a, a little fee for doubting me. (laughs) 
there's a, a doubt fee. <laughs> and you know, they, they don't know. They, they'll know that now. They'll be like, wait a minute, last year, he did charge blah, 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 50 this time. That extra 50 So he was, included a doubt, you, you, a, you doubted me fee. Yes, yes, that's a thing. Yeah, that's a thing. It tickles me. The way you're laughing, that's what I do at home. Like, a yeah, you doubted me fee. So give you, me that extra 50 for doubting me in the first place. You doubted they me. They told me. I mean, they told y'all, you know, I was worth it. So, yeah, pay me this extra 50. Now, and I, I like to ask people, this is always my last question. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I forget. I made sure I didn't forget this time. As far as success goes, did Def Jam Blaster feel like he was a success, is a success? Uh, and this is not just as a DJ, human being. And then what is success to Def Jam Blaster? As a DJ, I think I definitely did feel like I was a success because I was not really chasing it. Hmm. But as it presented itself to me, I saw it, I appreciated it, I grasped it, I exploited it as much as I could, you know, and, and I mean, did some incredible things. So as a DJ, as a business owner, as an artist, I do think I was successful because I did things that I never thought I would have done. And I think I excelled at them at when it was needed. You know, I never really, uh, you know, had any problems. Anything somebody put before me, like we talked about before, oh, you think I should put some mixtapes out? Okay, I'll put out some mixtapes. Oh, I should do, <laughs> yeah, that is a good idea. Let's throw some parties. Everything, you know, that I was a part of was always successful. And uh, I think, you know, on the business side, that's the things you look at. Well, is the product good? Do the people like it? Then, you know, that's what you're, you're going for. Uh, and I think personally, you know, that's, that can be such a deep question. I think, um, you know, you just get into some of the life decisions that you make. There's, there's always things you look back and say, you know, I might have done this differently. But I think one of the things that I always tried to do was look at people that came before me and what worked for them and what mistakes that they make and try not to make those same mistakes. Let's copy the good things that they did and avoid the same pitfalls that they had. So I think on a personal level, uh, my life has been good. Uh, pers- like I said, personally, even aside from business, I've learned from other people's mistakes, you know, friends that I've had or even just, you know, something you may see on the news like, oh, wow, I didn't I never thought about that. But, you know, let me not get caught up in in that same scenario that that person got in. I've always been kind of observant like that. So, you know, I would say uh, been very fortunate, very blessed. You know, I think some things are beyond our individual ability and control. Some things are given to you and you got to know what to do with it. And maybe for me, some of that was that particular ability, even at a young age, to have some insight and try to step back and watch other people. A lot of times it's not something you do when you're young. You just go out and be reckless and, and do whatever. So, and you know, there were still mistakes I made. There's people that I, I called and, <clears throat> and apologized to about things that uh, I just didn't realize when I was younger that may have uh, I can't imagine them. you doing something that was hurtful to people. It, it wouldn't have never been on purpose. Right. So I, I appreciate you saying that. I never was just, I was never yeah, you a never bully. Came across, or, yeah, you never came across. No, never did anything so on purpose. So for you to even say that makes me go, 
But you know, I think as yeah, but, but we're all human beings, right? And There's as you reach moments. different yeah. levels of maturity, you may look back on a situation and say, well. "Oh like, man, I, I owe that person an apology." Yeah, yeah, right. you know, I should I should call and and talk to this person, you know, and, and apologize. So I feel that. I've had those moments and still may have those moments. You know, it's a never ending journey until you reach the end of the line. There you go. You can always grow and, and mature and and learn. So, well. Blessed, I think you have always been a stand-up guy. I don't, I, I can't think of anything bad <laughs> to say about you. I've never had a bad thought well, about you. I appreciate you. that. I, uh, you know, so that's just yeah. me. Uh, this could be my final. Okay. Do the Hollywood boys still, as a duo, go out and do parties or gigs? Yes. Do you? So here's the situation. I've always... Uh, kind of jokingly presented us as the run DMC of DJs. Yeah, because it seemed like there was a time yeah. when y'all was really doing a well, lot of stuff together. Well, a lot of it is what you alluded to earlier about so many DJs being around now that, you know, you can find a DJ, you know, there's probably a DJ outside the door that just walked in off the street. Like, <laughs> hey, I'm a DJ. You know, okay, everybody's a DJ. So what happens is you got to write that check for the Hollywood boys. <laughs> Just, that's what it comes down to. It's a numbers game. So, you know, I appreciate if, your honesty. If, if people are booking me, let's say I'm run. Okay, you, you okay, you got to book DMC separately, and then we come, we come together. There's not a. This is not. Uh, you know, it's not Costco, it's not Sam's. There's no group discount. This is what I charge. He charges the same thing. Combine that number, and we'll be there. That's what it comes down. And there are people who still get us. There are people who still get us. But now that there's, you know, a thousand, you you a thousand a, DJs a duo everywhere. Discount. Yeah, we're like, yeah, we we don't do that. Yeah, we don't do that. You know, and it's it's a. You know, it's a tricky conversation to have with people because I don't ever want to be like, hey, this is what it is, you know, blah, 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 take it or leave it. You know, I'm like, yeah, you know, we're, we're not those guys that just started. You want us for a reason. You know the product that we can deliver. Pay me. You know? I'm going to end it right there. Pay me. Pay okay, me. I'm going to really end it with him giving you all his socials and all that stuff so y'all can follow Blast. I, yes, I yes. find Blast to be very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I went through the whole thing and forgot I brought you a copy of the Nodos CD. Oh, now, wow. This, this, was, never... this was released recently. These are the songs really? from the, you know, 90, 91 oh and 92. God, I almost did not recognize you. It's not <laughs> well, that you look, yeah. well, you look different. I mean, that's, that's, it's not that you look older. It's yeah, just you look different, totally you know? different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's. like you got green eyes even. You, I've, I've heard that before. You know, it might be one of those things that, Changes with your body okay, over time, but okay. yeah, that one right there, looks yeah, totally looks good. a little more, but yeah, so that's probably. Oh wow, yeah, y'all just put this out. That's been out for about a year now, and like we talked about previously, there's a lot of companies that are interested in reissuing old stuff or issuing. In this case, this was wow. never issued, uh, and so that's one of the projects that those guys uh, put out where they did that album, and I got another one coming out that's going to be. Um, Def Jam Blaster presents the Lost and Found Volume One. I really hate the so. openness, but I am. Yeah, I nah, go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm gonna get you to sign it later. Uh, so yeah, I'm on all social media at Def Jam Blaster. D E F J A M B L A S T E R. Just search for that, and you'll find my website, Instagram, all that stuff. Is so. the is the record on on your website? I don't know if that is it. There's. 
Because I, I see I'll, that I'll make sure. that says it's only a limited pressing of 300 copies. Yeah, so I'll I'll try to make sure that that is. Because, like, when it comes out, you know, I'm posting all the stuff about it. And mm-hmm. um, I'll make sure I update all of that stuff to have the info for people to pick those up. Yeah, I mean, those things, you know, it's pretty cool. You know, and it's it's humbling for somebody to come say, yeah, man, you have some stuff that never came out. We want to put it out. Just That is you cool. Know, it, it is cool. Because, again, we're making all that stuff back then just having fun, you know. We want to put out an album, but it may not come out. And then, you know, 30 years later, somebody's like, hey, man, let's put it out. So well, good luck on that, Blast. Man, thank you. And thank thank you. you for your time, man. Thanks for having me back, man. Y'all find, I the, appreciate find the album. Go get some of this classic stuff in your in your in your life from 1992. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, thanks again. Thanks for having me, man. You, I appreciate being here. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out if I've seen this cover before. Well, no, the cover, <clears throat> the cover was, th- that, like was I've that was made recently. That, like that, was our, that was our, you know, promotional picture. Because so. didn't I send you a copy of the album I had? It was blue. I'm sorry, we good. The 12-inch? Yeah, didn't yeah, I send you a copy? 12, I found yeah, it in yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. doing some stuff. And, and that I'm was like, the, the promo, uh, you know, that was 